0: Hello, this is Toner Quinn, editor of the Journal of Music, and this is the Journal of Music podcast. My guest on this week's podcast is Harper Lisha Kelly, recipient of the 2020 TG Cahar Gratham Cahar Award, which is the main annual award for traditional musicians in Ireland. Lisha tells me about how things have changed radically for the Irish harp in the last couple of decades, about her life as a full-time musician, and what the award means to her. Alicia, could we start at the beginning and could you tell me about how you started in music?
1: Yeah, the very first thing would be um, growing up in a house with, with plenty of music and I'm the youngest so um, I have two sisters and a brother and uh, they all played and uh, my father plays the piano and there was, great, there was always a great mixture of music going on in the house and um, I suppose I, the first thing would have been piano because they were always at the piano in the house and I would have learnt that way and I know that my father had a very had a hang up about um, not being able to read music he was very musical and his mother wouldn't let the boys learn music and um, it was one of the first things he did when he settled in Westport and was to learn piano learn how to read music I don't know was it something uh, to do with his association with tri- uh, traditional music- musicians not being able to play- read music and poverty I don't I don't know, some weird... Yeah, I don't know what it is. So he insisted on us learning to read music. So he taught me to read music really young, like sort of four. I would have been sitting up reading... Well, I suppose nowadays that's not that young, really. There's a lot of people doing...
0: Do you find that that was an advantage? No. <laughs> Why not?
1: I find that... I think, looking back, it's a disadvantage because I was pretty good at reading then all the way up and, and then I would have, you know, done all the sort of exam type things and... Like, I mean, I would have learned whistle as well at school. No, not at school, but we all did whistle at home with um, the gang of them, you know. Um, and from the, about the age of six, seven, um, that and they went kind of separately, side by side, um, that when I kind of got into triad in my teens, I found I was slower than my friends at Learning Tunes who were fiddle players or accordion players. Or, yeah, definitely. I definitely. Because
0: you don't think your ear was as developed? Yeah, Sure. So you started on the piano and worked your way through the grades and then at what age did you start playing the harp?
1: Uh, the harp arrived around when I was 12. Just gone 12.
0: And were there any other harpers in the area?
1: There were. Uh, there was Anne-Marie Scannon who was my teacher. She was from um, Louisburg, and she was uh, she had a lovely classical technique and she was taught by the great Nancy Calthorpe who's a, a legend in harping world um, especially for um, singing with harp accompaniment so that's where I was dropped into we're not realising that world I just was dropped into that's what was the harping world at the time really and why time. the harp though? oh um, I heard it when I was younger in our house um, a girl came playing it and I was just bowled over like
0: absolutely a real moment in my life yeah was this at a house session? yeah
1: house sessions they were great. what age were you then? nine remember it kind of clearly all right you know
0: and what did you? what did you hear?
1: I don't know, maybe it was the look of it or I don't know, it must have been the sound. I don't really remember that. I just remember that moment and going, oh my God. And then I was last at home, I suppose. The rest of them um, were gone and Dad would have wanted one of us to play pipes or harp and he was a bit late coming to the party, really.
0: (laughs) And what do your siblings play then?
1: Well, they're, same thing, piano, but they would have gone to boarding school and done classical violin. So um, Sheffield returned and did... um, bit of trad fiddle, and then uh, Mourn sings, and uh, my brother's the eldest, and he was he he's more into kind of contemporary and rock and that kind of thing.
0: So when you say you were the last one left, the others were gone to boarding school. Yeah. And did you go to boarding school? No,
1: I went to school in Westport.
0: Was there? There is a strong traditional music culture in Westport. Was it as strong then?
1: No, it wasn't really. Um, it really became so much stronger after Matt Malloy came in '89. Um but as a teenager there were great local musicians like Pap Freeland, Nim Gridis flying still, they're mighty musicians, um, and the local cultists like that, you know, there would have been a few, and then very strong sort of down Newport side. Um but they were amazing to me. When I was sort of thirteen, fourteen, they would say, Oh wow, Alicia's playing the harp come and play in the kind of Wednesday cultists concert. And I they would say play along and I wouldn't know I wouldn't have the tools to play along and had, wouldn't know what to do. And they were just so, yeah, sorry. They were just so, so generous and nice and gentle and encouraging to say, just play, it's fine, try, you know. So let me fumble along and probably destroy what they were playing.
0: <laughs> but what had you started playing on the harp? Was it oh, traditional harp repertoire or was it, it was dance this, music or?
1: No, it was the compliment
0: for these songs. I see.
1: Now, Amory was a beautiful singer, beautiful soprano voice. <clears throat> and as you can hear, <laughs> I have a beautiful <laughs> alto. No, I, I it wasn't my thing at all. Even the singing wasn't cool. The repertoire was super uncool. It was the blue handkerchief and Jimmy Vila store. And it, even though I love that tune now, those kind of things that were like dated by about sort of 30, 40 years.
0: Did you even feel at that age in your mid-teens that, it, that the harp wasn't cool at all?
1: Oh, no, it definitely was uncool. Yeah, but shocking. you persisted with it. Yeah, I know. That's the <laughs> stubborn streak. Like if I was bringing the harp to school for any reason, which didn't happen too often, but uh, I'd wait till everybody was gone in before I'd walk in with it. Really? Yeah, mortified.
0: But at what stage then did you start to sort of transition your repertoire into playing mainstream reels, jigs, hornpipes on the harp?
1: Um, maybe it was uh, getting into flaws and stuff. Um and even the harp competitions exposed me to other stuff. Uh, such a small world. There were very few people playing the harp and Connacht at the time. So up to Keyju for the caroline competition and Granard and that sort of thing. And uh, it was great. It was a nice little kind of you felt part of a little kind of community and you, you knew everybody. It was great, um, but it was very niche. <laughs> yeah. And then going to the Flas, then of course that kind is sparked. Even though I would have been dilly eye in the whistle and stuff. Um, and playing in the kind of local cultists, it hadn't happened till you... Which is not enough, till you meet your your peers, your teens, the teens that were playing. So we... The, the parents got a group together under uh, Jenny Kilroy, a great musician out of Westport. And uh, we were from all over. Achill, Newport, Westport, out as far as Carr Kennedy and the, the north side. And it was great. We were all... It was the first time. It was like a group of Keol. And we were all different instruments and different talents. And we were all very... Uh, shy and uh, but that was brilliant because
0: mm.
1: it was a w- real wake up call to me that I really
0: wasn't at the races compared to what they were. But you could already play tunes on the whistle so it was a matter of applying that repertoire to the harp. Yeah. But there weren't many people or were there playing jigs and reels on the harp were there? At well, time? I
1: certainly wouldn't have heard anyone anyone till maybe Etna Donnelly maybe uh, Fla Kilkenny was that
0: 88 or something like that. And when you started playing the harp, did you find you had a natural facility for it because of the piano?
1: Yeah, that was definitely an aid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, you've got all the the theory behind why you're changing key here up here. Um, That's that's all... Well, I mean, that came from the classical background on the Mm -hmm. piano. Um, And I found that when I'm teaching now, kids who have none of that background... fry their heads on having to know their keys because it's really it's really important
0: so it is important then the theory side of being able to read music in Um, in your own teaching not so much
1: reading but Mm -hmm. yeah um, well you're just cutting off a whole world of being able to read somebody else's arrangement you know um, and that's one of the biggest things I would get asked for is my left hand for certain tune or um, you know at any of these like the Willie Clancy, you'd have people come up, will you give her an hour and listen to her flat tunes or something? And um, I'd say, no, that's not my thing. I I just, I teach the melody and I give you an indication of where the left hand is going. I don't like to say, it's the low D here. I don't like nailing it in. I like them to come up with their own, you know, as much as Mm. possible. So I find it very hard to commit (laughs) uh, an arrangement to paper.
0: Right. You know. um. But your technique in playing the harp... You use the nails yeah, to play the melody, mm-hmm. which is quite unique. Um, How did that develop?
1: Well, Jeannie, that was all a mistake, really, <laughs> back in the time. Uh, I was all my 20s playing solid. Genie, there was hardly a night we didn't play uh, here in Galway. And then um, I, I was moved up to Donegal and the band had finished the Bumblebees and there weren't that many gigs. And I had about a month with no tunes, uh, which was unheard of at the time. What year was this? Uh, around um, 2000. And the, the nails started to grow because at the time you would never have a, even a teensy hint of it because you're horse out. If you get a little nail, you hear feel it and hear it. I said, Genie, I'll give it a go. Sure, Genie, they've been playing with the nails for hundreds of years. There might be a reason why. and
0: yeah. But up until that point, you've been playing with the finger pads. Yeah, like everybody else. Yeah. Throughout the 90s. Yeah. And then when you started using your nails rather than finger pads, did you prefer the sound?
1: Yeah. I definitely did, but it was difficult to change. It's like having to alter the the whole technique.
0: Did you feel you were connecting in, like you say, that that it was the traditional way of playing the early harp with the nails? Did you feel like you were connecting in with that tradition or something?
1: Not necessarily. Uh, <laughs> I suppose one of the primary um, purposes was I was playing with Steve, Steve Cooney on the guitar, and he was playing Spanish guitar. So we sounded the same, and the nail gave me a little... A little Little advantage, you know, you can hear the little zing off the nail,
0: Right. you
1: know, and, and it's the same then when you're playing with, you know, anything, flute, fiddle, pipes, whatever. The little bit of nail just gives it that little tiny
0: kick. Yeah. You mentioned earlier on that when Matt Malloy moved to Westport, that had, had a big impact on the traditional music culture there. Can you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, it was, it's really before, and Westport is a before and after Matt Malloy. Because it was a sleepy one-horse town. And then Matt came and, I mean, he first of all, he opened he brought the Chieftains. We were all,
0: wow, like... That this amazing. is when he opened up Matt Malloy's pub.
1: Yeah. And, um, and he, he, the weekend was the Mayo Flowers in Westport, so it was a big deal, you know. Um, and then, from then on, you never know who was going to be coming through the pub playing tunes.
0: Were you a teenager?
1: Yeah. And it was just the right time for me, you know, just musically, just go, wow, you appreciate... Well, I would, of course, know Matt anyway, you know, um, his music. I mean, not personally, but, you know, th- you know, he's an icon of mm. yeah, flute playing. You know? So did
0: you start playing in Matt Malloy's pub then?
1: Um, not too much. You would have been a bit young and then a couple of years later,
0: yeah. Can you tell me a little bit then about, say, when you left school, did you go music, start playing music full time?
1: Well, first of all, I went to Minutes. Uh, well, I repeated the leaving and I went to actually went to Kylemore Abbey and I was going back to get more points. Not, it wasn't points back then, what was it? Just better results, wasn't it? Um, for civil engineering, would you believe? And um, Sister Carol out in Kylemore, amazing, amazing Sister Carol, she changed my life and uh, kind of showed me what I had, really. Um, and said, what you, you know?
0: had music. Yeah,
1: you know, she was an amazing teacher. Uh, however it happened, I went to Minute and did music and Irish there and economics and um, I really enjoyed Maynooth, um but the course wouldn't at the time had any trad whatsoever. Um,
0: so but what did that sister say to you to make you understand what you had?
1: Yeah I can't remember now. I suppose I was enjoying my music more. Also that same year I met Liz Kane and Mirella. And Morella was in the Clifton Community School and Liz was a day pupil. So we used Mirella. to... Meet uh, Morella Murray played the box Murray. from 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 um, Cleggan, uh, from Cladidough. and so we, we used to meet up playing.
0: Tell but me then at UC, UCC, you became immersed in the traditional music scene down there.
1: Yeah, the music was good in UCC, um, very strong uh, trad sock, and there was even a harp society because <laughs> there was a few of us there and they weren't all doing music. Um, and I used to give Michal a hard time. I used to really enjoy his classes. And um, yeah, when,
0: what do you mean by that?
1: Well, he'd he'd slip up with something in class, and I'd have to, I'd have to
0: with regard to the harp,
1: yeah, or some of the history or something, because there there wouldn't have been as people who would might know the stuff that I would have known, or I wouldn't even realize that I had the knowledge I had. Really, kind of, you know. But um, he he loved that, you know. So we we had great crack. What kind of discussions would you have? Oh, just about the old harping world and. You know, and then I, I knew that he had done the work on John O'Sullivan's, you know, um, the Carolyn, uh, the Bunting, sorry. And, you know, um, I don't know, he, he, he was delighted as somebody, I suppose, looking back, had an interest. Um, but then he was, in, I, I remember at the end of the year, maybe it might have been into the following year, they were doing an open day in UCC and he asked me to play. And I played. And I remember him doing a double take, listening to me. And it was from that that he told Philip King asked me on that programme at the time which was the River Sound
0: and what was Mihal's Mihal O'Sullivan's perspective on the harp
1: at that stage well he had great respect for it which was wonderful there wouldn't have been that say in minutes as such uh, so that was wonderful you know that trad was a real respected part of the the whole syllabus in, in UCC which is, which was amazing I know it's all completely changed the whole world has changed since that you know this is all pre-river dance even you know mm. so um yeah, it was great, and and Mel was there, and uh, you know, we, Mel Mercier. Yeah, and you know, just opening your opening the, the musical windows to, Africa and India and stuff. You know, and we'd never been exposed to that.
0: What were you playing when Mihalo Sulon did a double take? The jigs. What jigs?
1: <laughs> Brendan Rings jigs.
0: Brendan Rings jigs. Brendan
1: Rings jigs. Yeah.
0: And mm. was it because you were playing? I don't know. Tunes.
1: Tunes, possibly, yeah. Yeah, because originally Philip uh, Philip King asked me to play on this programme that was coming up. What year was that? 94.
0: This was when Mihala O'Sullivan was presenting The River of Sound. Yeah. And he asked you to be a contributor and to play on it. Yeah. Uh, 1994. Yeah. OK, tell us about that.
1: Yeah, poor old Philip. He, he rang me. I didn't know. I mean, we knew who he was because of bringing it all back home had been on, but... Uh, so it was, when you got home and the message was Philip King rang, we were all excited, and you had to go down to the payphone to ring him back. And uh, um, he said, "We are recording in Kenfigara Castle, and we'd love to have you." And I said, "Well, I, I won't do it <laughs> because I didn't want to be the Colleen with the guna in the castle." And he just thought that was hilarious and then he moved the shoot to Nuns Island. I imagine that's not so bad, but. Um, yeah, that's where I was at the time. I was really kind of, um, yeah.
0: So you, so you almost declined that opportunity.
1: I know. Isn't that amazing?
0: Because you didn't want to be the traditional All I could stereotype. see
1: was uh, kind of, you know, wide shot or, you know, uh, kind of uh, with looking out the castle with the girl playing the harp. I just was having major problems with that idea of being on the telly like that.
0: See, you we're very conscious of that stereotype Absolutely. Of, the, of the Harper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you resisted that. Absolutely. Were you consciously trying to change people's ideas? No, I wasn't
1: that? out to change. I just wasn't going to do that. Like, and I, d- I didn't realize the, the you know the possible you know consequences of that really. Um, but then, fair play to Philip. Me almost said to him, "Get her," like for this show, and he said, "I want you to play Carolyn," and I said, "Well." If I do, Carolyn, will you let me play a set of reels or jigs or something as well? And he goes, Yeah, no problem. And he was kind of, you know, getting bossed by me. But he 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 didn't mind either. Fair play to Philip, yeah. So um, when when that happened, in fact, it was in the middle of Milltown Malbay. We'd come up to go away to record, which wasn't, you know, there wouldn't be much sleep had and stuff. But anyway, um, so I recorded a Carolyn piece. So I think it was the Carolyn's receipt at the time. And then uh, the famous jigs, which are the tunes that I got off Brendan when I would be down in UCC.
0: This is and, the Piper, Brendan. Really. Yeah,
1: Piper and now Harper, fantastic Harper um, and, and such a lovely composer. So they are three really special jigs. And it's like 20 years later before I realised that I heard them telling the story about that he was inspired by O'Carolan. So I, I love the link up. Um, so Carolyn used to, well, if he was stuck for a tune, would go up to the Fairy ring, you know, Bader, Theresa, Joe, I don't know, but like you go up and have a snooze and he'd wake up with a tune. Right. Um, and Brendan tested out this theory. So the three fairy tunes are the Tyrrell's Pass, Cooling Iron, and the famous
0: Listen a Gun. So, um, and when, when River Sound was broadcast and you were on that series playing traditional Irish tunes, it was perceived as quite new.
1: To I be, know, isn't it funny? Yeah. Uh,
0: what impact did that have on you then?
1: oh everything changes before and after like uh, we were just in Galway playing tunes and then all of a sudden I had a gig do you know getting paid kind of you know it was a really huge huge step and in fact the the, the programme was launched in 95 and then the, the, <laughs> I got asked because Michal was doing the, the interval music for the Eurovision He asked me to be a part of that. And that was phenomenal. And then what year was that? That that was 95 Um, and and it was an amazing, huge piece. Evelyn Glinney was playing percussion. And, uh, you know, it was just Brian Kennedy and Maya Brennan and all the Brennans. And I can't even remember. There was loads of people in that. The Monks at Glenstilovey was hologrammed in and uh, uh, Lilith O'Leary and um, Shannon singers.
0: But the River of Sound series was quite controversial at the time.
1: I know. Imagine.
0: Were you conscious of the controversy around it? It was controversial because some people criticised it because it was espousing a certain, a different type of music. That's what, how it was perceived. What did you think of that at the time?
1: Well, I was on that Lily show where Tony McMahon said um, what he said, <laughs> but uh, I
0: did. he said that it, he, he said that he couldn't hear anything Irish in it.
1: Yeah, well, I wouldn't have agreed with that. Like so,
0: what I, do you remember about that time then?
1: I remember hearing Eileen Ivers doing her thing. And then she was kind of pushing the boat out, which seemed at the time, gosh, it's so not like nowadays. But there was so much class music on that program, like Martin O'Connor and Frankie Gavin. There was Dermot and Dermot Byrne and Kieran uh, Toursh, There was Niall Valley. There was just you know Carmack Brannock. There was so many gorgeous things on it. Like,
0: um, did you feel that criticism was unfair then?
1: No, I didn't think it was necessarily unfair, but it might have been wrongly attributed to. That it wasn't Irish music, whereas it, that was on the cusp. Of course, Riverdance was 94, wasn't it? So th- things were moving. So it was inevitable anyway. Or maybe they were just
0: at the right time highlighting it. And this is well quite transformative for you as a musician in that it sort of launched your career then. Yeah. And you've been working full time in music since then. Yeah. Tell me about the life of the... Full-time musician. The travelling harbour.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I did around harbour going around. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I live absolutely the life. I'm really, really, it's a privilege. Um, I'm really delighted I have this life. I um, feel really lucky. Um, and then there's the other side where it's tough. You're broke. <laughs> Constantly. And, um, and I, I, I don't mind that because, the, the quality of my life, meeting the people I meet and uh, travelling where I get to travel is just is a gift. And then I find the business part of it difficult, like most artists do, I suppose, really. Um, but uh, then I can... Part of me is kind of half OK at it. I can um, get on with it, you know. And, and
0: but, What do you mean the business side of it? What well, Ch- Chasing gigs or...?
1: Um, Gee, no, not so much chasing gigs because I do very little of that. I, I, I kind of go at whatever comes in mm. rather than the other way around. And no, everything from registering your work, dealing with Imro, I am, um, all even recording, I don't even enjoy the process of recording. Um, I've had years of it and I kind of can do it, uh, but it d- definitely doesn't bring about the best to me. And then I fi- kind of finally got to the bottom of that like say my record that we brought out in 2010 Kesh um, with Martin Brunson he came and brought his gear set me up and went off for a walk for about two or three hours and press record now it's a nightmare afterwards having to deal with you have to go you have to listen to it but it meant I could play for an hour conscious of the red button and finally get a bit better
0: so it's just a matter of becoming completely comfortable yeah I'm not completely comfortable even still why is that?
1: I, I don't understand it there's a deep problem psychologically <laughs> it's like oh i have a little bit of a tune great press the button and where did it go just disappeared there
0: how do you feel when you are comfortable performing what what do you feel Oh, is the, the
1: live gig is your only man really i think you know I, I love uh just love playing i think and i think that's the same when i go to hear gigs there's nothing like listening to people up close you know just hearing the real deal hearing like Natural mistakes, even or, you know, a bit of tuning or.
0: What do you feel from? Are the particular tracks or albums that you feel are really representative of you?
1: No, not really. <laughs> not yet.
0: You don't <laughs> no. feel you've. No, no, not no, yet. No, no,
1: but I, I did learn something in that particular recording with Keshe with Martin because Martin is coming from a, a different world to to trad, and um he was wonderful at telling me that he loved me tuning up. <laughs> he he said all the fluttering stuff that I do when I'm tuning up, which I take ages to tune up, you know, get the hands, get the, you're in the key, and, and all that world of tuning t- to that key rather than just tuning to a tuner on, you know, the electronic tuner. Um, and I would spend ages making sure i was happy with that tuning and what i'm doing to get there he loved that music and he said you know you should just record that and i'm like oh, no way you know it's just as i didn't accept that as any sort of music sort of thing you know and then it took me years to go mm, maybe you know and then then i was lucky to get a stint in the Tyrone Guthrie Centre from the Mayo County Council initially i didn't enjoy the process and then I had a great conversation with a a girl.
0: What didn't you enjoy about the process? Just being there for a a week?
1: I don't know. I I, I had to wait till it clicked. I don't know. Can't even explain that probably. Sorry.
0: So so are are there ambitions then to do another recording? What would that be? What are you looking to try and do then?
1: Well, that stint in the Toronto Guthrie Centre gave me the beginning of finding my way into kind of my own music and... Getting, it, it, I've been. It's been so difficult to go in there and be comfortable with what it is. Uh, it doesn't sit into a jig or a reel or whatever. And f- having the confidence, like it took me years then to play it on stage. This piece was uh, was to do with the, the heron and Mayada.
0: Is this the piece you've written?
1: Yeah. Um, so even to say I've written that piece is difficult for me to say because really what I'm doing is imitating the call of this bird and a conversation with two of them, the two birds. And it's just stemmed out from that. So it's, yeah. So it's it's taken a long time to say, yes, I've composed that piece that came from there.
0: So you're trying to develop your own language, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, maybe if I could speak about it better, I'd be more confident about playing it. But I have, I've got, and I've got lovely reactions from it, which has really helped. Oh my goodness, that, that really... When
0: you've performed it live.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And what's it called? On uh, uh, my Moyada. Mói Mara Mary with a long, long neck. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, as well as being a performer, you recently started your own festival. Yeah. Ackle, the Ackle International Harp Festival, which is in its fourth year now? Fifth year this year. Fifth year in yeah. 2020. Yeah. Tell me about why you started a festival in Ackle.
1: Well, I'd love to say I started it, but I didn't. There's a whole fantastic it's committee. It's a committee. It is, absolutely, yeah.
0: But you're the sort of you program it you're the um, I don't director. program no we program it together okay. um,
1: because of the nature of putting it on in a rural community um, we need to I need to hear everybody else's opinion about what would you think that would something that's fantastic that's a bit hardcore mightn't go down with an audience do you know it's a very fine balance between that whole thing of a fantastic musician that might be a little bit lost at a mixed audience, you know. So, um, initially, it was I was given out for years that we really should have a cool festival in in Ireland, you know, because I get to travel and every time I travel, they go, oh, you're from Ireland, the country of the harp. You know, especially outside of Europe, they really respect us as this musical nation. It's absolutely phenomenal, but we don't appreciate it at
0: all. Which countries are you talking about? I mean, you've travelled all over the world.
1: Yeah, anywhere. Um, Jeannie, America, Australia, New Zealand, South America... Africa. Yeah. They
0: tell you we're perceived as the... Yeah. The island yeah of and of course heart. all over Europe. Yeah. Mm.
1: yeah And we really are. And then we actually are
0: the musical country
1: <laughs> as well. It's not just a...
0: Do you feel mid- that?
1: I do, definitely, yeah. Because w- when you go away and you're maybe... They ask you to come and play in the school or stuff like that and you realise you're at a big, I don't know, huge generalisation now, but say in France and you go to the local school and there's 500 primary school, maybe only 30 of them play tunes. Whereas play some class of music, prop, most likely going to be classical, and you'll have the odd one that will go into but maybe contemporary rock. Um, do you know, they're not tuned into their culture. We're so much more tuned into our
0: culture. Do you know? Why do you think that has happened? or Why do you think it's like that?
1: Yeah, it's part and parcel of, of us, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think maybe we're appreciating more now, especially in this time of technology and phones, that... Once you put them down, you listen to a bit of music. It does something to you physically, doesn't it? You can.
0: Do you think the traditional music culture is actually getting stronger? Yeah. And where do you see that?
1: Probably in the numbers. The kids, the amount of kids playing, I'm saying kids, but I mean teenagers, you know, proficiently, is phenomenal compared to my day. Do you know, that's only whatever, 25 years ago, whatever. It's like absolutely it's outstanding.
0: And there's been huge... A huge rise in the number of harpers as well. Absolutely, fantastic. Yeah,
1: yeah. There are more harpers playing now than in the 1900s, in the 1800s, in the 1700s, and possibly back further. We don't know, but it's absolutely so strong at the moment. And what
0: does that mean to you as a harper who remembers playing as a teenager when it was uncool? And for now to see all these, yeah, it's amazing.
1: That's absolutely. Thank God.
0: (laughs) Is that one of the reasons you start your festival to celebrate this?
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. To and to also highlight to these young people that there's way more to the harp than just the little Irish diddly eye. So that's why it's international harp festival we bring other ones in, especially the kind of South Americans are really doing fantastic stuff and everything else you know we, we had for the first time last year wonderful jazz harpist from from Wales and on, on the concert harp and it was an electric concert harp so it was super duper cool and he was a lovely lovely young fellow. who was that? Ben Creighton Griffiths absolutely wonderful player and then we have you know we might have an electric harp player from Scotland or um, somebody doing traditional Polish music or you know any, anything because the harp is in most cultures you know well not most but in an awful lot you know so, great to give everybody, you know, just to hear cuz that's what I every time I go away, I think, "Oh, they'd love to hear this at home or imagine if they heard, could hear this or." So that was the I suppose the main reason to get get up and run with the the Harp Festival, yeah.
0: And so now being part of a committee running a Harp Festival is a lot of administration, a lot of business, yes, organization Fun, fun, fun. Do you enjoy <laughs> that aspect of it? Um when it comes to, when it comes to running a festival?
1: It's part of what you got to do if you're going if you if you want to do that, you know, and um, funding applications and um, learning that whole world. And I was never very good at it for myself as an artist. So having learnt it, I've realised what they need. They need to be told. They need it on a plate that you've got to do this x, x y and this, and that you can really pull it off. And how can you pull it off? And you know, I, I get it now. You know, I uh, and anybody really could do it. Anybody if you sat down and put your mind to it, and I think that applies to any artist. Um, It takes you out of your comfort zone, of your art. Um, And definitely while I'm in that world of (sighs) application forms, there's no harping going on.
0: There's just no. Yeah. But it is uh, the concerts that I've attended and it takes place at the end of October. Um, they're really well supported by the community as well.
1: Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah.
0: Very, I mean, for a festival that's only a few years old, there's a real integration. Yeah. And that must make a huge difference.
1: It does. That was inspired by the popularity of like the Willie Clancy Week and also um, the Skullgivory and Gu- Guidoar, that people and, you know, like um, Ballyferriter and the Culinary, that people will go out west and make the effort to go so far out when they know the crack goes with, you know, and um, it is a beautiful place. It is used to be a huge holiday destination. Um, our tourism win- windows is uh, closing in a bit more now as the years go by. But we're a bit more focused on that now. Um, so this is like in the tourist world, in the Fall Island world. It's like a shoulder season being in October. But we couldn't put this on in the summer because we'd, we'd have no beds for people to come. But also it's... The re- the reason we went in October is because of the sound, and the Harpers used to meet at Tara at Samhain triannually. So, Historically? Yeah, absolutely.
0: This year it was announced that you are the T.G. Cacher-Gratham-Kill Musician of the Year. Um, the award ceremony is coming up on, on the 23rd of February. Tell me, what did that mean to you when you received that news?
1: Cheapers, um, I... Couldn't believe it, anyway, for a start. Um, also, Prunchies from TGKR, she rang me on the Thursday of the Harp Festival. <laughs> right when we were trying to rehearse the f- opening night and the Mexicans had come in the door. <laughs> they were looking at the Harp and I was like, well, there's Prunchies ringing, I might as well answer her because like, we're not getting anything done here. And I just couldn't, I couldn't take it in, you know. And then I, ha- I wasn't able to think or speak about it the whole weekend because we were full on. Was that difficult? No, not I had no time. There was no headspace. There was none. Um, And even the week after, because I was looking after the Mexicans, they were staying for a week and going on up to Leash and that. So, yeah. So then, bit by bit, I I found it a very difficult process to accept that they would want to give this to me. Um, And I've been analysing that as well because I think it's a huge honour. I really do. It really is a huge honour. And then I think it's fantastic for the harp. But all my life, in my head, I've never been good enough. So, to, to suddenly say, well, they think you're good. <laughs> it's been a hard acceptance, you know. So, um, but... what so is that... No, but just to, I wanted to say that, like, I, I've been at a couple of the Grathams. Like, I, I got to play with um, Matt at his, uh, the Chieftains, and uh, Tommy, uh, Tommy Peoples. And, um, like... To be in the same breath as Tommy Peoples, Matt Malloy, Lima Flynn, Martin O'Connor, Mary Bergen, all these unbelievable, my heroes, musically. And also, you know, personally, they're such fabulous crack and, um, you know,
0: just wonderful people. It's just amazing. What are you going to play at the award ceremony? Or can you tell us?
1: Good question. Um, I think DJ Cahar would like to know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Are you going to play your your new piece The Mayada the, uh, I don't
1: know I, 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 I'd, in a way I'd love to and then um, and then part of me goes well this is Tiji Kajar this is a traditional thing and that's a newly composed sort of thing so I'm wondering does that sit in so I don't know because I love all I love the old stuff I love you know the old manuscript music and the harp tunes and, and then I love polkas and you know everything I love all, mm. all tunes really but Try and try and give a sample of a
0: little mixture maybe. Leisha, thank you very much. Fault Roads Thanks for listening to the Journal of Music podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or follow us on SoundCloud. This episode was presented by Toner Quinn and produced by Shannon McNamee. Thank you to Flirt FM at the National University of Ireland in Galway, where these podcasts are recorded. For more on the Journal of Music, visit journalofmusic.com.